The Carter Report presents Living Victoriously. Secrets of Success from Prime Minister Daniel of Babylon City with your host, John Carter. This is a continuation of our series, Living Victoriously. And this is part five. In fact, it's chapter five of the book of Daniel. I guess everybody has read Time magazine. I want you to have a look at the cover of the latest Time magazine. Some years ago, Time asked the pertinent question, is God dead? Is God dead? But this week, Time asked this question, thinking of what's going on in America. Time asked the question, is truth dead? I wonder why. You know, we hear about fake news, and it seems that so many people today have no concept of right or wrong. I want you to think about this. Somebody said that God died in the 19th century because of the German philosophers. God died in the 19th century. Man died in the 20th century. And when man died and when God died, also truth died also. It's very important for a person to have a source of truth. Jesus said, your word is truth. But let me tell you this. We need to be intelligently informed and we need to read reliable magazines that endeavor to tell the truth, that have a fact-checking department. Some magazines do. When you read, you're never going to agree with everything you read. And that's why you need to read critically and widely from magazines that have a solid reputation. I was talking to a very lovely lady this week who was a television producer in Hollywood. Now, contrary to popular opinion, there are lots and lots of good people in Hollywood. I've met lots of really good, fine people in Hollywood. But she told me, the vast majority of people who make the movies and sitcoms and all of this stuff, they have no valid understanding of truth. They have no moral compass. It's no longer a case of saying, this is right, this is wrong. Truth is whatever you want it to be. I want you to think about this because what I'm going to tell you will help you to understand what's going on in America today. With the death of God, you must have, as a consequence, the death of truth. Because God stands for that which is absolute and certain. We have a law, and it comes from God. We have a moral law. America was based on the moral law of God and a belief in God. Now, we meet people today in Hollywood and around the world, and they say, America has got nothing to do with God because the founding fathers of the United States of America did not believe in God. That, my friend, is one of the biggest lies ever, ever told. But if you have a belief in God, you will have a belief in reality and in truth. And so Time Magazine has tied it together. Is God dead? Is truth dead 
And to many people, the answer is, yes, it is. Truth is whatever you want it to be. The topic today is when your enemy gives you the top job. I want to tell you a personal story. It illustrates how God can turn a negative into a positive. I'm going to camouflage this story. In 1991, we went to Russia. We, we were the first people from outside Russia to run a big evangelistic campaign, a big public evangelistic campaign in the city of Moscow. I haven't got time to tell you what happened. It was a series of amazing events with the Moscow networks coming to the programs because they were searching for truth. And after we ran those meetings in the Palace of Culture, just down the road from the Kremlin, in 1991, we went over here and we booked the Kremlin, <laughs> the Hall of Congresses, and we paid the deposit. And we thought this is going to be the best thing besides going to heaven <laughs> to run a series of evangelistic meetings right in the very heart of atheism. Now, I can't tell you how it happened, but the meetings were stolen from us. Some other folks moved in kept our deposit and took over the Hall of Congresses. I could have got really mad. In, in fact, I got it really mad. But you know what you've got to do when things like that happen to you? You've got to forgive people. And when you forgive people, it can turn a negative, a big negative into a big positive. You can't walk around carrying a burden of hate and revenge on your shoulders. And so we were sent to the place where they sent Sakharov and the rest of the Russian dissidents. We were sent to the city of Nizhny Novgorod. When I went there, the city had been locked up for many, many, many years. Foreigners were not allowed to go to the city. Since the days of Stalin, it was a forbidden city. And some other people took over the meetings in the Kremlin. And we were in this place, the place of the dissidents, and God promoted us to glory. We saw the greatest crowds up to that time attending evangelistic meetings in the history of the Soviet Union with a foreigner doing the preaching and a Russian translator. We saw thousands of people baptized in the Volga River who helped us the Russian army, the Russian army supplied their soldiers. The KGB sent their young men and they acted as our ushers. You say, can't believe it. It's true. We saw the tremendous power of God. 3ABN came with us. And when they got involved in the campaign and helped to make the campaign a possibility, they built this wonderful evangelistic center. This wonderful evangelistic center, I'm told, the biggest Protestant building in Russia. It could have been in Moscow, but it ended up in the city of Nizhny Novgorod. God took something that was a big negative and something that could have, if we'd let it, it could have destroyed us. But God turned it around and we were promoted to glory. <laughs> I want you to know this. God is in the business of turning negatives into positives. Now, almost 
All dramas have two main characters, the goody and the baddie. Or as I said in one movie, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But today, it's the good person and the bad person. I want to give you some clues about the bad person. He's a young king. He threw a big party. He invited thousands of guests. He supplied huge quantities of alcohol. He committed a fateful blunder. He had a supernatural encounter. His knees shook. He met the prophet of God. He gave the old man a big promotion. He promoted the old man to glory. But he was murdered, or some would say he was executed. Of whom am I speaking? Belshazzar, who was described in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2. So please turn in the Bible to Daniel chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. And uh, the text says this, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. In my work, I've met so many people in Russia, Ukraine, South Africa, Australia, and also here in the United States who say the Bible is an exploded book. It is simply a book of myths. And for many years, skeptics said that Belshazzar was a myth because in the Chronicles, the last recorded king of Babylon was not Belshazzar, but Nabonidus. And so they said, here we've got it, a mistake in so-called Holy Scripture. But then this inscription was found, which is called the Nabonidus inscription in cuneiform. And in the, in the inscription, Nabonidus ends with a prayer to God for himself and for his son, Belshazzar. Now what had happened was this, that Nabonidus retired and he put his own son, Belshazzar, on the throne of Babylon, exactly as it is written in the scriptures. I believe that the Bible is a book of truth. Now, if you can believe what I'm going to tell you now, it's going to help you lots. If you don't believe in anything, you're going to be a lost soul. But the Bible tells us who I am. It tells me where I came from, why I am here, and where I am going. And because we believe it is more than a book, we believe it is an inspired book. It is the very basis for Western culture. It made America what America is or what America was. This chapter, chapter 5, describes the last night of the Babylonian Empire, the last night of Belshazzar. The king was there with his, in a circle with his cabinet, with his women, his wives, his lords, and his concubines, and they were drunk. Belshazzar made a very, very foolish decision under the influence of alcohol. 
the Bible says that when he was drunk, he commanded to bring the golden vessels from the temple which Nebuchadnezzar had gotten out of the temple in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar had overthrown Jerusalem and he'd taken from the temple in Jerusalem these golden vessels from the sanctuary dedicated to Almighty God. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, when he is drunk, commands to bring in these vessels. That was a stupid thing to do. Let me give you some facts about the modern use of alcohol because it's pertinent. In the United States, more than 15 million adults are engaged in the heavy use of alcohol. They are the people we know. They're the people who are passing you in the streets, on the freeways, 15 million of them. Around 90,000 people die from alcoholic abuse every year in the USA, 90,000. That's equivalent to 270 jumbo jets crashing every year in the United States. 270 jumbo jets killing every soul on board. That's five jumbo jets a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Every day through the working week, a jumbo jet crashes. Every person is killed because of alcohol. It is an insane industry. If we were to lose one jumbo jet in LAX, it would be a national disaster. But 270 every year. Why? It's tolerated because alcohol is an addictive drug that brings in billions of dollars and makes a lot of people wealthy. 700,000 students between 18 and 24 were assaulted by another student under the influence. 97,000 students reported sexual abuse or date rape at the hands of a person who had been drinking. Alcohol impairs the thinking processes. And that's why so many people find it so difficult to, to think that may be one of the problems in Congress. It could be. The results of alcohol, broken homes, abused wives, terrorized children. Many years ago, when I was a boy going to college, a man came and gave a speech. He was from the United States. I think if my memory is working today, this is going back a few years, it was Dr. Schaffenberg. And he told how he visited a young man on death row, about to be put to death. You know why? He'd stabbed his mother to death with a kitchen knife. And he said, son, I, I, I want you to tell me, how did it happen? How did it happen? He said, I came home late one night. He said, I had been drinking. I was blind drunk. My mother was waiting up for me. It made me crazy. And when she wanted to know where I had been, I got so mad, I said, shut up. And she wouldn't shut up. So I went to the drawer in the kitchen and I got out a knife and I stabbed her to death. Now he said, I'm going to die in the electric chair because 
I killed my mother. But he said, I didn't want to do it. I did it when I was drunk. And Dr. Schaffenberg said, son, just for the record, who gave you your first drink? He said, my mother gave me my first drink. Today in America and around the world, there are lots and lots of preachers and ministers who defend the use of alcohol. Plenty here in Southern California. I've got a word for them. They ought to resign, pass in their credentials, and go and get a job maybe at a brewery because of the curse of alcohol. Broken homes, abused wives, terrorized children, people psychologically damaged for life. A terrible, did you know, a terrible increase of disease, including cancer. If you drink alcohol, you've got a bigger chance of getting cancer. To say nothing of the hurtful decisions that are made by politicians and other leaders because of the demon in the bottle, the demon in the bottle. Look at Deuteronomy 32 and verse 32-33 in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 33. It says, For their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. Now that night, Belshazzar, his ladies, his wives, his concubines and his lords were drunk. They would never have done what they did had they been sober, but they were drunk. And if you notice, Daniel chapter 5, verses 2 to 4. Daniel 5, verses 2 to 4. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. That the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Do you think for one moment he would have done that had he been sober? I don't think so. He acted as a complete fool. When under the influence, the golden vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, the temple of the great God, Yahweh Elohim, were brought. This was an act of daring, blasphemy, dare I say, stupidity, high-handed rebellion against God. And when he did this, Belshazzar crossed the line in the sap. Did you know this? 
that there is a line in the sand. And if you and I step over that line, then we've gone too far. People say, I can, I can just carry on and do whatever I want to do. No, it's not so. There's a line that is crossed by rejecting the Lord where the call of the Spirit is lost as you travel along with the pleasure-mad throng. Have you counted, have you counted the cost? And he crossed over the line. I want you to notice Daniel 5, verses 5 and 6. Daniel 5, verses 5 and 6. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. This could have been the candlestick out of the temple. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened. Must have hurt. And his knees knocked against each other. So this was judgment day. This is the most unpopular truth in the Bible that every person one day is going to have a judgment day. Because we came from the hand of God and because God is alive and because God is not dead, every one of us is going to have a judgment day. But we're told that God is very, very patient. Would you look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9? 2 Peter in the New Testament, chapter 3 and verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of of patience. A skeptic went down to Hyde Park, took off his watch, held it up, and he said, I'm going to prove there's no God. Held up his watch and he said, if there is a God, I defy you to strike me dead in the next 60 seconds. Stood there like this. Then he looked at his watch, holding his watch. When 60 seconds had ticked by, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I have amply demonstrated that the existence of God is a myth. There is no God. And one old man down the front stood up and said, the poor fool, he thinks he can exhaust the patience of God in 60 seconds. (laughs) He's got a lot to learn hasn't he? So my friend Belshazzar did not exhaust the patience of God in 60 seconds and you and I won't either. An atheist wrote to a Christian newspaper in North America. He said, dear editor, please ask your Christian readers to explain this. I plowed on the Sabbath. I planted on the Sabbath. 
I worked on the Sabbath. I harvested on the holy day and I got the best crop of potatoes in May. Please explain. And somebody wrote this letter to the editor. Dear editor, please tell your potato man. (laughs) God doesn't settle all his accounts in May. God does not settle all his accounts in May. I want you to know this. But the truth is, he does settle all his accounts. Now, would you please notice Daniel 5 and verses 5 and 6. Daniel 5, 5 and 6. Again, in the same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. This indicates that God is watching us. And the king who was so boastful and proud and blasphemous suddenly became very, very sober. Here's a quote from Jefferson. I love the founding fathers of the United States of America. What would they say today as they consider America? He said this. This is the Jefferson Memorial. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. What happened to the king? We'll be back in a moment with more amazing facts. Hello friend, I'm John Carter. By the grace of God, I'm going back to Russia. I've been to the lands of the old Soviet Union 47 times. (laughs) That's in the last 25, 26 years. We're planning to go to the city of Nizhny Novgorod, or the old Russian city of Gorky, made famous by the poet Gorky. We're going there because 25 years ago, we ran a great campaign in Nizhny Novgorod. And we saw 2,530 souls, 2,530 Russians, communists, atheists, all sorts of unbelief, baptized into Christ in the Volga River. We're going back because the need is enormous and because the Russians are saying, please come and help us. Freedom is disappearing in Putin's Russia. It's almost impossible now to hire an auditorium, almost impossible to preach the gospel. And so, by the grace of God, we are applying for special missionary visas. Are we going to get them? We think so, by the grace of God. And we're going to advertise, by the grace of God, on television and on radio. Please write to me. I've got to raise $250,000 now. Please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 
91358 in Australia, right to the address now appearing on the screen. This could be Russia's last opportunity. Please write to me. I ask you, in the name of God, write to me today and pray for Russia. Thank you and God bless you. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.